What is up, everyone? Welcome into the Fight HQ preview show for UFC Vegas 68, Bellator 290. Of course, both going down on Saturday. Of course, the UFC show there in Las Vegas at the UFC Apex. And then when you talk about the Bellator card, that's over in LA. And and Pete, one, it, this is actually one of those weeks where I think for the most part, the MMA community is probably more interested in the Bellator card than they are the UFC card. Yeah, I mean, I can't wait for both of them. It's going to be one heck of a weekend for, for mixed martial arts. But, you know, you have Bellator kicking it off for us. And then following it, if you are, you know, in Night Owl, you'll be able to check out the UFC uh, UFC card, which is uh, riddled with a lot of hungry fighters for sure. And, uh, you know, tipped off with the, the main event between Sergey Spivak and Derek Lewis. Yeah, I mean, something we, we should note about that that UFC card, the reason for the late start time um, is this is the the finishing up of the road to UFC tournament they were doing over in Asia. This card was actually supposed to take place in Seoul, South Korea. Initially, it was going to be headlined by the Korean Zombie, Korean Zombie, uh, unable to uh, perform on this date. So this is why the, the fight card has been moved to Vegas. Also why it is a later start time, 10 p.m. East Coast time uh, for the prelims main card 1 a.m eastern time so for us dfs players we gotta get those limes in by 10 o'clock eastern time um pete just being honest about it the odds of me being up to watch this main card are about two (laughs) percent really i mean i'm off so you know when i'm off on a saturday night and there's fights i'm going to take advantage of it and make sure that i'm sitting down and, and enjoying the fights and uh hopefully build my bankroll enough throughout the Bellator fights to then have a very successful UFC night. So uh, I would recommend you guys doing the same thing. Start, you know, picking spots on the Bellator card, setting yourself up for success, and then taking advantage of some of these lines for the UFC card. And of course, playing some DFS. Yeah, you know, there's there is, uh, you know, over on the Bellator side with, you know, looking at some of those lines for some of these fights, I, I did find it interesting. Um, I will tell you this. I, I was surprised how big of a, a betting favorite Ryan Bader is against yeah. Fedor Milianenko. I would have thought like minus 200. I mean, I didn't think he was going to be approaching three and a half, four to one betting favorite in that one. Um, I mean, look, the under one and a half on Sabah Hamasi and Brand Ward is juiced, uh, but Good reasons why that under one half line is juiced there. But I will tell you, I think on the prelims, which by the way, I mean, it's it's a stack preliminary card Bellator's put on. Um, I, I do think there are some potential interesting underdogs over there. On, on Bellator? Yes. Um, interesting. I, I definitely want to hear it. Um, you know, starting off with the main event between Fedor Emelianenko and Ryan Bader, I would agree that I think the line is a little too wide for Ryan Bader. I think there was a point throughout Bader's reign and he's still, you know, doing doing well, but he looked like he was next level, like untouchable. And then you start looking at it a little bit more, his his most recent bouts and obviously the Czech Congo one, he looked fine and but the one before that against uh I believe it was Valentin Moldovsky pulling it up at the moment. But um, you know, yes, Moldovsky, a lot of the media members scored that fight for Moldovsky. I believe it was seven of eleven media members scored that fight for Moldovsky. And Moldovsky's damn good. He really is. I mean, his his record doesn't speak for how talented he is because he's only 11-1 and one at the time. Um, but I will tell you that, you know, it's just interesting, right? Like 40-6 and six, Fedor Emelianenko, one foot in the door, one foot out, you know, retirement fight. 
usually retirements don't go the way that it's not always a happy ending, as you and I were talking about before the show. You you brought that up to me, and you're so right. I mean, think about Frankie Edgar and Jose Aldo, like tons of people that you go out not under your, you know, under your best performances, never mind like out on top, like Habib Nurmagomedov or George St. Pierre. I think the line's a little wide. So I'm going to put some fun money on Fedor Emelianenko. I just feel like some horrible punch lands for Fedor against Ryan Bader. And we, we do know that when Ryan Bader gets touched on the chin, he turtles and he does he really doesn't respond well to getting bullied. Perhaps this could be a situation where, you know, the the atmosphere of Fedor's retirement fight gets to him. Maybe not. I mean, he, he might go out there and just put it to Fedor and get rid of him relatively quickly. But I'll be putting some small money on Fedor. Other than that, I'm not going to touch the fight. Yeah, you know, when I pulled the, the uh, betting lines up earlier today in my in my spreadsheet here, Ryan Bader, minus 340, plus 280 on Fedor Emelianenko. And I remember yesterday when I was looking at the, the Fedor wins by TKO KO, you're not getting, I mean, pretty much it was exactly what the money line prop on this one is. And I mean, I mean, think about Shogun just, you know, two weeks ago, you know, the fact of, you know, retirements typically don't end the way you want them to here. Uh, you know, the question, you know, one thing we even seen Fedor at the later stage of his career is that hand speed has still been there. The question is, and I mean, look at, and I, I say it in a very joking manner a lot, but father time hits everyone. And, and that's kind of my concern with this one. You know, what kind of game plan has Ryan Bader come out with here? The first fight did not last long. And, and this is probably a fight, Pete, where it's just going to be a matter of who catches someone on the chin immediately. We'll, we'll see what happens there. You know, talk about those preliminary cards and, and underdogs. And, and we're going to get into UFC here momentarily. But since we're talking about Bellator, we're kind of just kind of go through this card. Um, how about Lorenz Larkin at plus 185? I think that's an interesting underdog line there. Uh, Ali Asiv against Steve Mallory at plus 110, what concerns me, hasn't fought in three years course uh former pfl champion i do like grant neal at plus 125 against carl abrexen uh, darian caldwell plus 135 is interesting i had a fascinating conversation with Darren Caldwell about two weeks ago um, where he basically he's talked about it's 13 months between fights for him and he spoke about the fact of he really tore everything down not just from a physical aspect but from a mental aspect so I'm kind of and and he's talked about and uh, he wants to welcome Patricio Pitbull to the 135 pound division because Patricio's hinted about going down to 135 um I don't like the big number on, on Jornel Lugo I like him to win the fight I just think it's just such a wide number there um and their two prelim fights are, are both local fights where you got one guy who's a, is a five to one betting favorite yeah you know like Usually, I don't really like picking underdogs on Bellator. Um, you know, uh, if there's a spot that I like, of course, I'll attack it. Haven't really gone in-depth with a lot of them. But when I've looked at it and I've seen what Darian Caldwell has done lately, seems like he's like mentally defeated a lot of times throughout his bouts. You know what I mean? Like, the the skills are always there. The wrestling's there. Just putting it all together. The cardio is is, you know inconsistent which is always a worry for me um but this was a guy that was you know thought of as as one of the next big things if not going to be a long reigning champion for a while i don't know man but i'm not going to really touch most of these underdogs you have question marks surrounding grant neal and carl albrexon albrexon's phenomenal grappler grant neal very talented in his own right horrible cardio for both of them so it's a matter of who's going to gas first 
If I'm going to look at any of these, I'm going to look at Chris Gonzalez. I'm just not really a believer in Max Roshkoff. And uh, I do think that Chris Gonzalez has the wrestling to basically nullify anything Max does. And he, I think that he has the striking advantage over Max. So Chris Gonzalez would probably be one of my first Bellator undercard plays. Um, outside of that, you know I love my boy Lorenz Larkin, but I, I'm not really fascinated with the matchup. If I start kind of navigating throughout this Bellator card, I start going mainly to the main the main card. Like that's where I'm going to be, you know, focused on my bets. Um, I, I like Naaman Gracie. I, I do think that Dante Skiro had a very close fight and kind of overperformed in one of his bouts. Um, and I just think that a guy in Naaman Gracie is going to have his number everywhere. Um, I would recommend people putting money on on the under one and a half between Brennan Ward and Sabah Hamasi. It's approaching minus two to one territory. I think that they're both prolific finishers. I'm going to be rooting like hell for my boy Brennan Ward um, in hopes that he puts together a strong performance. Uh, Johnny Eblen is going to be a staple for a lot of my Bellator bets. I just think that this kid is the real deal. Um, I, I really, I was convincing my friends that he was going to be gay guard. Sure did. And I, I just think that this is going to be Johnny Eblen's belt for quite some time. No, I mean, it's, I mean, Anatoly Tokov, I mean, he's, he's legit. I mean, but I, I'm a big, I'm a big believer uh, in Johnny Eblin in terms of this one. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's, you know, I, I'm looking forward to seeing what uh, Bellator looks like. Of course, uh, network debut, that'll be on Saturday night. So, I mean, like, look, if you want to make it a long marathon of mixed martial arts action on Saturday, six o'clock each time is when the Bellator prelims start. Main card, 9 o'clock. So it'll be a little bit uh, of a carryover between UFC and Bellator because the UFC show starting at 10 o'clock. I mean, you know, if you want to, you know, I mean, probably Derek Lewis and Sergey Spivak probably ultimately will probably hit the cage 3 a.m., 3.30 Jeez. East Coast time. Once again, this is why you're once again envious of people who live on the West Coast because it really is the best coast for mixed martial arts action. Yeah, for sure. You know, and... I will tell you that this is kind of where I'm sitting with with my Bellator bets. Very, very careful and methodical with it so far. Um, as we approach the card and we get closer, we see the weigh-ins. I do a little bit more in-depth research on the on the prelims and all that. You can find all of our plays inside our Discord channel. Um, it's free to join. It's in the description below. It's basically just like a a community where we're just we're in there talking fights all day long. So uh, please. You know, join our join our Discord channel. It's in the in the description below. Mm-hmm. In addition to that, if you guys can like the video, get us over fifty likes for this video. We really appreciate it. And of of course, we appreciate all the support, all the subscribers to our channel here at Fight HQ. Of course, I gotta say I appreciate my guy Pete for uh, doing the show on a Thursday. As I'm not gonna be able to do, wasn't gonna be able to do a show on Friday as a, uh, you know, taking a little uh, little day off. I guess you you would say quote quote like in my world somewhat of a day off. Pete, I think we're very similar. I don't think there is such a thing as a day off when when you're self employed. So, uh, but appreciate it. But of course, uh, let's get into UFC Vegas 68 main event. Derek Lewis, Sergey Spivak. Of course, this was a matchup that was supposed to take place uh, a little while ago. Go back in what was it December? I want to say when when these two and uh, of course it gets canceled on Fight Day. Derek Lewis came out this week and mentioned about the reason it was canceled was because of COVID. And I saw where he basically said he's like every bad symptom of COVID he had. Um, and if you you've seen the pictures on social media, um, you know Pete, he's looking good. Well, thanks, Jason. I didn't know anything about that about the COVID situation again. 
I've been slammed with everything, but I have done, you know, extensive research, fight film research, not media research. So, I mean, that doesn't make me, that doesn't inspire confidence in Derek Lewis at all. And for me to bet him, um, I was, I was backing Sergey Spivak to begin with in this matchup. And then now you have the delay and they decide to go again with this matchup. It's, it's a little bit of a head scratcher for me because I think that, you know, stylistically, Sergey presents a lot of problems for Derek Lewis. He's a very big guy, phenomenal wrestling for the division, excellent ground and pound, and one of the best submission skills within the division. Now that there's no longer Fabrizio Verdum, who knows if, you know, no more Alexi Olenek. Um, so, like, I do think that Sergey Spivak has some of the best jujitsu um, and submission skills within the division. So, we've always seen Derek Lewis get put in bad positions and he kind of Hercules his way out. I. Just, I don't know, man. I, I do think that him getting in better shape towards the tail end of his career is a little ironic. Um, but, you know, just running running miles and, you know, putting in road work is great. But it doesn't always, you know, equate to being in, in phenomenal fight shape. It's fight shape's more about sprints and more about uh, interval training. You know, just slow distance running doesn't really translate as much as people think. Yes, you have to put your miles in. And you have to get your road work in. But, uh, you know, I almost think that the bigger frame Derek Lewis would have helped him in this situation where his physicality could somewhat nullify Sergey Spivak's attacks within the, the wrestling and jiu-jitsu department. And, you know, it might be a little bit easier for Sergey Spivak to kind of have his way in the clinch. You know, we did see what he did to Greg Hardy. I mean, he tossed him over his head. So I'm interested in the matchup. It's heavyweight MMA, one of the most volatile divisions and one of the most volatile bets you could ever put. So I, I wouldn't put it in a part of a parlay. This is how a parlay gets busted all day long. Um, I would be, you know, split exposure when it comes to DFS. And I am siding with Sergey Spivak here at 8,800. I think it's a fair salary. Five rounds. Don't think it goes five rounds. One way or another, I think we get a finish. Um, but Derek Lewis has to be in that 25% within your within your lineups and uh especially if you're playing you know 150 max you have to you have to get to Derek lewis because when sergey gets hit on the chin he doesn't respond well it's just a matter of you know if he gets hit on a chin walt harris did it to him tom aspinall did it to him but outside of that he's looked like the ever improving fighter of the two you know the way i look at this pete is i, I just i view Der, uh Ser, sergey spivak as a better mixed martial artist and whether he can implement yeah. that, that game but you know it's it's very similar to kind of you know the conversation we have fedor the power is the last thing to go and and from a dfs perspective yeah i want to get to Derek lewis i don't i don't know you know like if if i'm playing in a 150 max probably I'd be at 25%. I, I don't yep. think I would go much higher than that. Um, I do want to get the Sergey Spivak in, in this one. I mean, you look at the betting lines here. Uh, Sergey Spivak minus 190 plus 230 for Derek Lewis. I mean, I think that's that's priced the way it should be. Um, you know, but to me, I think it's a, it should be Sergey Spivak. I kind of feel like we in 12, 16 months from now, we may be talking about Sergey Spivak challenging for the UFC heavyweight title. Yeah, I mean, he's super legitimate and you know i i really like him he's gotten a lot of experience training alongside francis and ganu and those guys at extreme couture not really sure if he's a part of them for this camp um but what i will say is that i think sergey has improved he really has improved Derek lewis you know in a lot of his wins even he's losing until he lands that big shot 
And, you know, you could bet that way in, in hopes that he kind of pulls out that Hail Mary. Sometimes that Hail Mary doesn't happen. You know what I mean? And uh, I, I do think that Sergey Spivak is the side that I'm going to be, you know, picking. And, um, yeah, I, I mean, we, we saw, you know, Daniel Cormier say that he thinks Derek Lewis is going to knock out Sergey Spivak, but he thinks Lewis's time at the top is completely done. And that kind of pissed Derek Lewis off a little bit. So maybe a little fire. I, I don't really think it's going to make a difference here. It's going to be a good fight. Um, but, of course, I have to side with Sergey Spivak. And, you know, uh, the 25% exposure to Derek Lewis, I think, is going to be fair. Look, I don't think Cormier is wrong in saying that Cormier uh, – that D, that – Derek Lewis's time at the top of this division is over. I mean, I, I think that this could be a situation that if Derek Lewis does not get a win on Saturday night, that you could see the UFC um, part ways with Derek Lewis just based on what they're playing. Uh, Barry, I uh, appreciate you over there in chat. He says, books are begging us to bet Lewis first round plus 500, second round plus 900, third round plus 2200. Because of this, I got to take speed back. Look, I will say this. I mean, Derek Lewis... For whatever reason, I mean, you think the guy is just gassed out, and then you know, at you know, we, we saw it in the um, Alexander Volkov fight with ten seconds left in the third round, knocks him out. We see him, you know, do it late in the fight. I do think that if you tell me this fight hits the fourth or fifth round, Derek Lewis is live. That's why, from a DFS perspective, don't mind getting there. But I, I think he's going to be a, a punt play for a lot of people uh, in terms of this. Let's move over to the next one. We got uh, Jung and Clark. Clark 7,500 on DK. 8,700 for Dalyon Jung. Uh, Jung a minus 240 betting favorite. Plus 200 for Devin Clark. And Devin Clark, man, this guy's been around the UFC. I want to say, I think this is like his 14th or 15th UFC fight. It's um, he, He's been around for a long time. But like when I think of Devin Clark, Pete, the, the image that comes in my mind is him just wanting to get his opponent up against the fence. Yeah, I mean, he he really he is desperate to get his opponents against the cage. And uh, every time I think of Devin, Devin Clark, I think of his dad because you can hear his dad just screaming in the corner all the time. Now, I believe he said he's not going to be a part of this camp. I don't think it makes a difference. Um, Devin Clark's a guy that I've you know been able to pick against in a lot of his bouts and pick correctly. When I, when I think that his wrestling isn't going to be advantageous and he's going to get picked apart on the feet or he's going to get submitted. He's 7-7 seven and seven in the UFC, as you mentioned. I think that Da Un Jung is, is a big, big physical guy with power in his hands, power everywhere. Um, and I actually think that he has some pretty damn good wrestling himself. Uh, offensive wrestling, solid defensive wrestling as well. But Devin Clark's a guy that's really going to test you. Anytime you're talking about getting a wrestler as an underdog – you know, you, you can kind of put an asterisk next to him. 7,500, I think, is because of the wrestling ability of Devin Clark. But, like, you know, he'll attempt a ton of takedowns. He landed two of five against William Knight uh, before he knocked him out in the third round. Uh, he went one of six against Ian Kutalaba, one of ten against Alonzo Menafield. Um, he's going to attempt a high amount of takedowns and a, and a large number of uh, wall install cage control. I just don't like him here in this matchup against Da Eun Jung. Now, you have to be careful because Da Eun Jung's coming off a recent knockout defeat to Dustin Jacoby, where Dustin Jacoby's glory kickboxing was really shining through. And even his UFC success is pretty ridiculous. Uh, Dustin Jacoby hit him with a gorgeous combination, planted Da Eun Jung, and that was over. Um, I, I do think that the fact that it was back in July is you know very good because it allowed him some time to heal. I think that was the proper amount of time to come back here in February. And uh, I'm going to be picking Da Eun Jung here at 8,700. 
I think he has a sneaky upside here in route to getting a knockout victory over Devin Clark. Devin Clark does not like taking punishment at all. Um, there have been times where he kind of has that mentally checked out, uh, you know, body language about him. And when he gets hit or he gets bullied, he starts to look for the exit in a way, especially if he cannot find the takedown to kind of, you know, secure himself. So give me Da Eun Jung here. Um, I think there's like 85 to 95 point upside. The issue is at 8,700, there's probably some better plays. Um, but as far as like a prop play, I do have Da Eun Jung as a, a, a KO prop, a, a part of some of my picks. I've never been, in terms of DFS, from a fancy upside, I've just never been big on Devin Clark. By the way, uh, you know, there was something we were talking about before the show about these PFL announcements. Uh, Malki Kawa, who happens to represent Brandon Laughlin and several other PFL fighters, goes, the PFL went and announced a bunch of fights that have not been agreed to, so hold up your excitement about anything. Oh, damn. People did not, the, people did not see name in Marlon Marais fight that he's kind of uh, referring to. He, he represents Laughlin. He also represents um, Shaman Marais and Shane Burgos. There was a Shane Burgos fight announced as well, too. So good Lord. Yeah, I, I don't know why Marlon Marais' camp thinks it's a good idea to take on Brandon Laughlin. I don't know why the PFL will book that fight. But uh, yeah, just just something I throw out there. Something I just saw go across my Twitter timeline. Like line drops, I'm going and attacking it because <laughs> Brendan Loftane is going to make it look easy against Marlon Marais if that fight does happen. So that's just poor management. It really is. Like, I mean, yeah. How many times we got to see it from Marlon Marais? Like, give him a, a a softball matchup. Let him get some confidence back. You know, he's just fighting killers, killers after killers. And I understand. You know, he he's a killer himself, but. He has been getting destroyed lately. You know, we talked about lines being juice, like the under one and a half on Sabahamasi and Brandon Ward. You yeah. know, the over two and a half is going to be juiced on this next one. Marcin Tybura and Blagoy, even off, even off 7,900, 8,300 for Tybura. Tybura, one minus 130 betting favorite, plus 110 for Blagoy, even off. Blagoy, even off, has gone to decision in all six of his UFC matchups. He hasn't won a fight via stoppage since 2017. Prior to that, it was 2015. Look, this uh, this is one of those from from a DFS perspective, Pete. I don't like this fight at all. Like, if if you wanted to get there in cash, okay, I get it. But in terms of a GPP, this is just a fight that I'm gonna have minimal exposure to. He's so Blagoy Ivanov is just annoying. You know what I mean? It's it's annoying because like he's he's going to make you work. He's going to push you in all areas, even if it's a completely slow pace. Um. And then he'll he'll make the decision super narrow. Like it, it's always seems like it's a close fight when Blagoy Ivanov's in there. And uh, you know you can even have a guy in Marcin Tybora who I think is you know two times the MMA fighter that Blagoy Ivanov. He could go in there and just stylistically Ivanov's a difficult matchup because he can defend takedowns. He can get his own take. He can get his own takedowns. Mm-hmm. Uh, he will go tit for tat with you on the feet and. Yeah, you may have gotten, you know, the better punches in, but he may get, you know, a couple more. So he might be able to get a little bit less efficient punches in, but a little bit more volume or vice versa. It's just, it's always a head scratcher for me, which is kind of why I I really dislike the heavyweight division. And uh, as far as a lot of people really enjoy watching heavyweight fights, it's it seems like it's always a coin flip. 
um, especially when you're talking about the mid to low level. Um, at the top level, it's pretty easy to figure out. But uh, Marcin Tybora, Blagoy Ivanov, I'm, I'm not going to be like in love with this fight from a DFS standpoint. I think that Marcin Tybora is going to be the pick. He scored 59 against Alexander Romanov, got that majority decision. Um, you know, I, I think that he has upside. And I've been waiting for somebody to knock out Blagoy Ivanov. I just don't know if it's going to happen. Um, and I've been waiting for Blagoy Ivanov to get a finish. And I don't think that's going to happen. So this could be a pass for me. I'm going to be picking Marcin Tybora to win the bout. I think that he's the better fighter here in 2023. 10 and 6 in the UFC, 3 and 3 for Blagoy Ivanov. It just doesn't seem like a DFS play. You know what I mean? And I 100% would not put this apart of my parlay because I could see Blagoy Ivanov winning some split decision and you'd just be upset that you put him a part of the parlay. So, uh, yeah, give me give me Marcin Tybora. Minimal upside for both of them. If there is a finish, I would like to think that Tybora finds it somehow. He has one, he has an excellent ground game, and he has some pretty sneaky striking as well. And you know, Father Time is undefeated and approaching Blagoy Ivanov at the tail end of his career. So mm-hmm. I'm picking Marcin Tybora. Hopefully, he shocks us all and actually outperforms what we're expecting. I wonder how many people know the Blagoy story about the. The stabbing? Was it the stabbing? Is that what it yeah, is? Yeah, remember, remember, he got stabbed in a bar, went and got in a cab to for the cab driver to drive him to the hospital. Yeah, man. That's crazy. He's a tough dude to finish, man. Yeah, that's true. I'll, I'll that's tell true. you, so when he took on a Volkov in the heavy in the Bellator Highway tournament back in the day, so that was part of the, the pay-per-view they did there uh, just outside of Memphis. And so about three weeks before that, I'm in uh, Revel there in Atlantic City with Belt uh, with the Bellator production staff doing. Uh, I was basically kind of one of the voices of the pre-fight piece for this fight. I can't tell you how many questions that production because like, uh, like y- y- you've done this. We're in these production meetings. They've you know they've got the camera lights on me and they must ask me thirty questions related to him getting stabbed. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, what do you want to say? Mean- He's one tough cookie, man. Yeah, I mean, you know, when you have a story, you, you definitely have to vocalize it. And, uh, you know, Blagoy even though it's super tough. Um, I don't know. Who who knows if, if you can finish the man inside the UFC. But uh, you know that he's going to fight for your money. And that's why a lot of people like picking Blagoy even off, you know, in underdog spots because he's going to fight for your dollar, even if it's just a terrible visual performance. Yeah, I mean, I, the thing is, it's just like, if you're looking to find a, a leverage play on Saturday, this will be a fight that will be a leverage fight. But I, unfortunately, I just think it's going to go 15 minutes. And, you know, in a 15 minute fight, what's our fancy score ceiling? Yeah. 85 points. I mean, I was just looking at that because when I'm looking at when he, when even off won a decision and scored decent, the only one that sticks out is his decision win against Tai Tuivasa which was back in 2019 before Ty became, you know, a superstar. He landed two of two takedowns, um, you know, threw 123 significant strikes, landed 73, and had about two minutes of control time en route to 85 points. I don't know how those stats equaled 85 points, but somehow it does. Um, The most recent decision win was against Marcos Rogerio de Lima, where he scored 64. I think that's kind of like the wheelhouse where this fantasy production is going to be in the 60s. So I'm going to be moving on from it. Hopefully 
people that don't just target it for for leverage, you know, get paid off and it ends up working out for them because I think this is going to be a bad DFS fight. Yeah, I'm with you in there. And of course, we should note no more late swap on DraftKings. DraftKings thank announced. <laughs> yeah, thank God. Yeah, it's uh, that at the end of the day, that just. And, and even like I saw professional, you know, you know, quote unquote, professional DFS players out there going, man, even I, they hated this because it was like, man, we can just set our lines like that's the worst part about playing NBA or any of your sports where, you know. Then you're slate swapping it, and, and and I think unfortunately it's just the ones that affects the most is just your your casual DFS player because, you know, you've got professional players who are are looking at percentages and and they're figuring out who's owned and who's not owned. Well, I think the funniest thing was that people who utilized late swap actually were punished these past couple months because if you actually late swapped, um, because DraftKings screwed up with the times of of the fights going off and unlocking and locking certain fighters you were avoided all your bets so me i just i left it alone so i no, i was not bothered at all um but the people that were going to take advantage of the late swap system were like hey what are you doing like you know if this is going to be late swap you're, you're kind of punishing us for utilizing your tool so you know with all that being said thank god it's back to how it was you know cancellations same day cancellations are rare within mma without knowing before the card you know what i mean like as the card starts, getting mid-card cancellations is super rare. It's like So when that happened throughout the, the COVID era, those were kind of like anomalies in my opinion. Um, usually we'll know the day before who doesn't clear medicals. We'll know the morning of who woke up sick from a, from a bad weight cut or who wasn't medically cleared or was, any, was unable to get the correct, um, correct forms from their doctors or whatever. Um, so with all that being said, we're back to having a normal – MMA DFS experience. No doubt about it. Let's move over. Next up, we got a man who's returning for the first time since 2019. That's the Korean Superboy. I, I don't know. You know, he's 31 years old, so I don't know if we can call him the Superboy anymore. Duo Choi <laughs> taking on Kyle Nelson. Uh, Duho Choi, 8,600, 7,600 for Kyle Nelson. Uh, Duho Choi, a minus 190 betting favorite, plus 160 underdog for Kyle Nelson. Yeah, Jason. So, I mean, a lot of unknowns within this matchup, right? Duho Choi has been away from the cage for since 2019. Um, we have Kyle Nelson, who has taken a ton of damage throughout his career. I thought he was going to get finished by Jai Herbert. He didn't. But that was back in um, in July um, of 2022. So we have Kyle Nelson, who's been acclimated to the, the octagon a little bit more so than the Superboy. I think, like, stylistically, Kyle Nelson's a sucker for a right hand, as evidenced in the Billy Quarantillo fight. Um, just everywhere you, you see him, he gets hit with right hands all the time. He throws good, powerful combinations and is willing to engage in a firefight, which I think can work to his detriment here because I think, uh, Duho choice hand speed is phenomenal. Um, his accuracy is great. His durability is what's in question for me, right? Like, because I think Duho Choi is a guy that got rushed to the top level a little bit too quickly coming off of back to back to back first round finishes with within the UFC. They give him a matchup against a, an aging veteran in Cub Swanson, thinking that he can kind of, you know, steal the shine of Cub Swanson and start to become this international superstar. It was a little bit too much too soon. And we, we did see him have success against Cub Swanson. But Jason, he took a tremendous amount of damage within that bout against Cub Swanson. And it's it's a type of damage that you don't know if they're going to ever recover from. 
you know, it's kind of like that's going to that's gonna last with you throughout your entire career. Then you follow it up with Jeremy Stevens TKO him in the second round. And then what I thought was going to be a tailor-made matchup for, for Duho Choi against Charles Jourdain, he, he drops him, hurts him as all Duho Choi fights go. And then he ends up getting finished in the second round. So I, I don't know what to think about his chin as far as skill level. I think that he is the you know superior fighter within this matchup. Hand speed, um, he looks to be in phenomenal shape uh, on his Instagram. And I know that he's been training a lot of jujitsu as well. I think Kyle Nelson's going to engage in the striking and still, and, until he starts to get picked apart, look to get it to the mat and try to be the more powerful of the two. But I think you'll be surprised that Duho Choi is going to be wise to it. Outside of Kyle Nelson landing a big shot against the questionable chin of Duho Choi, I think this is a a, a nice step down a competition for Duho Choi to kind of get his feet back underneath him, Jason, en route to a nice finish. I think he's going to knock out Kyle Nelson here. And uh, I think the price point's completely fine. Um, 8600 for a guy who was thought to be one of the, the next big things. He was priced at 9400 against uh, Charles Jourdain. So that's just something to, to note. And he was priced at 8900 against uh, Cub Swanson. So I, I think that the 8600 for Duho Choi is going to be a stable within a lot of my lineups. And I'm just going to hope that his chin holds up. Yeah, you know, one of my thoughts kind of, you know, when I looked at the price point for this card, it was my general thought was like, I, I feel like this is kind of like that get back right fight yes. that we see promotions put together. And that's why I kind of feel here with what they're going to do here. Let's move over. Next up, uh, they got a matchup between Kunishita and Fugat. Fugat 7100, 9100 here for the favorite, minus 330, plus 260. Uh, I spoke to Adam probably about. It's probably been about three weeks to this point. Um, and my two big takeaways from the conversation was he talked about going to the UFC PI and he did all the testing and he said, he goes, you know, I thought he goes, I thought I was a, a good size 170 pound fighter. And he says, well, then uh, after they did all the testing, the PI uh, trainers go, yeah, you're one of the smallest 170ers in the UFC right now. So he's really been looking to pack on some size. But the other thing that really stuck out to me is he feels he uh, he feels like he is being brought in as the B side of this fight, which is accurate. But yeah. it, but then he also said he goes he's like I don't want people to think I'm a gatekeeper. Yeah, I mean I I think that you know Adam Fugat impressed in his debut against uh, Michael Morales, who a lot of people hold in high regard. I think that Michael Morales is really really talented. Uh, we saw Fugat attempt eight takedowns in that. He landed one of them with a minute and 51 seconds of control time. So I thought that was super impressive because Michael Morales is very physical for the division. Um, you know, and as far as like striking wise, he was doing decent. He was, you know, landed 70 of 100 total strikes, 64 of 113 significant strikes. But as the fight started to go along, you saw Michael Morales start picking up the pace, knock them down twice en route to a third round finish. I think that he is being brought in here to lose. And I think that uh, Yusaku uh, Kinoshita is very, very talented. Packs some dynamite in his hands. Um, the only unknown is how does his wrestling you know, defense, how does his takedown defense hold up? The 9100 price tag is to truly show that he has a phenomenal ceiling. He has a phenomenal ceiling to punish Adam Fugit on the feet. Fugit will uh, engage. And I think that he will be hit with the harder shots. 
Kinoshita's striking and his hands alone, how he's able to slip off the center line, how he's able to capitalize as a counterfighter, and then he starts to work you know, his offensive strikes as well. I think that Kinoshita should get this done. Like, he really should. But the only reason I'm not crossing off Adam Fugate is because of how he looked in his debut against Michael Morales. But in addition to that, it's just the unknowns about Kinoshita's takedown defense, um, especially against the, you know, a, a decent wrestler in Adam Fugate. So I'm still going to be picking Kinoshita, but I'm not crossing off Adam Fugate. I don't think many people are going to get to him at 7,100. I would say he's going to be, you know, under the 20% range, which anytime we have fighters under the 20%, I like to go a little bit more aggressive on their ownership in hopes of getting different from the field. So I'm expecting a Kinoshita knockout here. Um, everything I've seen, just the, the power seems like it's going to really hurt Adam Fugate. And we also don't know how healed he is. He's coming off a knockout defeat to Morales back in July of 2022. That's an adequate amount of time. But I, I still think that Kinoshita is just going to get it done. I think he's he looks to be like one of the one of the next big striking international talents out there. Yeah, I mean, if Fugat, you know, you just kind of speaking to him, I, I, I think you know, I pretty much took that. He's like, look, I gotta, I gotta institute my wrestling base in this one. So, yeah. uh, you know, we'll, we'll see if that happens in terms of that one. Uh, that is the main card now. Basically, this is now this becomes the international prelims. It is about the best way to put it yep. uh, over here. Uh, first off, when you started kind of diving into this, was were you kind of like, we're gonna be very uh, choosy in our spots here? Yeah, it was really difficult, if I'm being honest. It was very difficult. Uh, full transparency, I'm expecting this to be one of the most difficult cards for people to get right. Uh, just because of the international talent, a lot of people are lazy with their research. And not only being lazy with the research, it's hard to find a lot of the fight footage from these guys. It really is. So uh, I found most of them, and uh, I really started to go and dive through social media with you know with with, with a a fine-tooth comb trying to find everything so uh mm -hmm. i would expect there to be a lot of, of variance and probably the best way to embrace this from a dfs sense is to get to more of these international underdogs because you know people are just going to be looking at the lines mm -hmm. and and thinking that it's going to be automatic wins um i did do some solid research on everybody here so i i feel like i have a pretty good feel for everyone um and then the the first one that we'll talk about is uh anshu jubilee against jaka sarigi and the line is appropriate it really is a pick em because i i think this is going to be one of the lowest level international fights on the card as far as like it's a well-matched fight i don't think both of these guys have a tremendous ceiling within the division mm -hmm. um I, I saw some work that Anshul Jubilee looks to be pretty, pretty talented from the the long range striking, uh, good straight punches. Whereas Jake Asaragi definitely has the higher upside and has the more finishing ability. So I'm going to be treating these guys as I do almost every week. The 8200 8000 fight it's going to be like a one A one B for me, where I'm getting to split exposure. But what I did like from Anshul Jubilee, and I am picking him in the bout is a lot of his pad work and a lot of his training throughout this, Jason, was combining his hands into takedown setups, which I think can actually 
you know, throw off his opponent here, Sadagi, en route to, you know, winning a decision. He is not a prolific finisher, whereas Saragi is. Um, and I think Saragi has the 100-point upside. But Anshul Jubilee can actually win a 15-minute decision just by being the the more intelligent fighter of the two and the less reckless. Yeah, you know, people ask about the road to the UFC. I believe it's on UFC Fight Pass. Um, yeah. That's where you can yeah, check that out at. And they have um, some some of them on you on uh, Twitter videos and some of them mm-hmm. on YouTube as well, just kind of looking and, you know, they, they have the highlights of it. But in addition to that, you can kind of see where they, they have the long, uh, the matchups on there as well. So it, it, was, it was tough. It really was. Uh, next up, you got Lee and Ja Lee, a 900 Ja, 7,300 Lee, a minus 260 betting favorite, plus 210 for Ja. Yeah, so I, I got to pull up my notes because I don't want to get confused as to who I'm talking about. Um, <laughs> and no, no offense. It's it's just like a lot of – it's difficult. And um, what I'm going with uh, – I'm going with the underdog here in Jai. So mm-hmm. when you look at the line, you see that Lee Jiang Yong is minus 245, whereas Yi Jia is plus 205. And then when you go and you start to look at the records, you have Jai who's 21-3. and three, and Jiong, uh, Yong Li is nine and one. So you have a vast experience advantage for Jia Yi. They are both really, really young. Jia Yi, who has the more fights, he has 25 professional fights. He's 26 years old. Uh, Jiong Yong Li has 10 fights and he's 27 years old. Um, I, I do think that the Korean Tiger, Li, is very, very dangerous. But with that dangerous type of style, there's volatility, and I, he kind of fight, fights like Justin Gaethje a little bit, um, and he he goes crazy where he just he hunts finishes and he's super aggressive with footwork and uh, willing to bite down on the mouthpiece and trade exchanges with you. Uh, he has phenomenal fi- finishing ability, even if he's get even if he gets put in a bad position. So on the mat, I think this kid is legitimate everywhere. Uh, lots of round one finishes uh via punches in addition to an arm bar but the arm bar when he has three wins by arm bar and then i go back and i look at the tape it shows me that you're getting put on your back a lot and when you're going up against the guy in jayi who's 21 and 3 actually 22 and 3 has fought so such a higher level competition just because these there's been more fights um has been knocked out one time. That was back in 2021. So I'm a little bit worried about his chin in this situation. I just think he has more more ways to win here. I think that he's the more well-rounded of the two. Uh, I think that his wrestling is superior to uh, to Lee in this situation. And I was surprised when I was actually looking at the salary. So Yi Jia is going to be my underdog play of the week. Um, I expected this to be like 7,700. At 7,300, it kind of makes me like it even more. And uh, I'm going to be picking Yi Jia to get the victory here just by utilizing his wrestling. I think even on the feet, he can hurt uh, Yong Lee. But I, I think that uh, you know the difference in this bout is going to be one in the wrestling exchanges in the top position. So give me Yi Jia to win this bout as a uh, 7,300 underdog. 
I always like hearing these underdogs when you come in here yeah, and, and let me know maybe who I should have a little more exposure to. Um, you Because know, th- these are the fights that I just think that, you know, as we're breaking it down and, and developing our, our lineups for, for DraftKings, it's it's kind of about figuring out who, who are the best ones to take. Now, one of the most expensive uh, fighters on Saturday is Nakamura at 9,300, taking on Kazama at 6,900. A minus 450 betting favor for Nakamura. So, like, is he a guy that's a, a top of the ticket part? lay piece for you today yeah so my notes says exactly rinya nakamura the hybrid has excellent wrestling and developing striking could be a slate breaker so i from everything i saw in on the fight film his wrestling he, he has the best wrestling on this entire card Best wrestling on this entire card um like truly dominant wrestling and when you are so dominant in the wrestling department it opens up your striking just because you know you can go to it. You're not afraid of getting taken down. His opponent is a BJJ savvy guy. So I think that Rinya Nakamura at 9,300, I might lock him in, Jason, because I don't think a lot of people just really know what's going on with this international card. I'm expecting him to have some heavy ownership. I think it's completely justified. Uh, he has to be cognizant of the savvy jujitsu that Toshiomi Kazama has though because Kazama has fantastic jujitsu I just think that the top game of Rinya Nakamura in addition to the superior striking is going to keep him out of harm's way so outside of a complete dart throw submission I don't think Kazama is going to have many paths to victory here so with all that being said that's a long-winded way of me saying that Rinya Nakamura at 9300 is going to be a staple for most, if not all, my lineup. So I love me some Rinya Nakamura. I will tell you, and Matt asking me to pronounce all these names. I was actually trying to get into the UFC press website the other day to because what they do is they put a MP3 file so you yeah. can listen to these fighters say their names. So I'm not butchering them, but uh, I think we're all going to struggle this week with some of these names. Yeah, I mean, some of them are some of them are okay. Um, I just get confused as to who I'm talking about. You know what I mean? Like I can't put a face to the name yet. Um, just cause I, I really didn't even watch the road to the UFC up until I saw this card coming. I'm like, Oh boy, I better start diving in. And, uh, you know, I wish I did because I, I feel like it was kind of a neat experience. Uh, next up we got park and Choi. park 8,400 Choi 7,800, uh, park is a minus 200 betting favorite plus 170 for Choi. So what's, what's the, uh, the Pete, the heat notes say on this one. So the note says, that I mean, I like Hyun Sung Park. I think that he has excellent low kicks. Um, and I saw him working with a team who I hold in pretty high regard, and that's Team Bang Tao. And we've seen Alex Volkanovsky work a lot with those guys. Um, basically, Tiger Muay Thai used to have a couple, uh, a couple brothers, I believe, the Hickman brothers. I think I'm correct on that. But they ended up leaving Tiger Muay Thai years ago. And they started their own facility called Team Bang Tao. And um, they they started to get a ton of people going to train with them. Uh, Zhang Wei Li has gone and trained with them as well. Um, so with all that being said, I, I like what I saw from some of the training footage of Hyung Sung Park. Um, excellent low kicks. The the trainer has a, a calf kick pad on all the time. So he gets his guys to throw a ton of hands into calf kicks, which is the most effective thing out there um, at the moment. Um, 
And I do think that he has the better ground game in this matchup. And his opponent, Sungguk Choi, actually comes from uh, the Korean Zombies team. So uh, th- this could be a very close fight. The odds on this, though, are kind of kind of a head-scratcher where you have Hyung Sung Park approaching 2-1 to one territory, and then we have him priced at 8400 So you're getting some value uh, because I, I do think that if you go based on just the odds, he should have been a little bit higher up. Um, I do like Hyung Sung Park to win this bout, but I, I made sure I put semi-confident. Uh, I'm semi-confident just because Sung Choi, coming from the Korean Zombie team, I think he's going to look to implement some takedowns, has good hands, but I can see this being a a striking matchup where it, it's a, a narrow fight and it goes the distance. So uh, I'm picking Hyung Sung Park. I think that if it does hit the mat, he has some of the, the better transitions and can actually capitalize on some submission attempts. So I'm going to go at Hyung Sung Park here, semi-confident, but that does not mean I'm getting away from Sung Gook Choi. Um, it's a pretty close fight, to be honest. Next up, we got a female matchup between Kim and a Bomb Bomb seventy two hundred. Kim nine thousand. Uh, Jung Young Kim a minus two eighty betting favorite. Mandy Bomb plus two thirty. Um, yeah, do you, do, do you even get to Mandy Bomb in this situation? Let me let me tell you, bro. Not many times would I have ever sat there and said, "Yeah, let's get to Mandy Bomb." And then I saw Ji Young Kim training at Syndicate. And I said, oh boy, do I do it. The I hatred I, you I have know. for Syndicate. Listen, this, I know, this might be one of the first times <laughs> I'm ever backing a Syndicate fighter. Now, it's going against my gut. I'm being honest. Mm-hmm. My gut is that Mandy Baum's terrible. She's terrible. Um, but she's improving. She's working a lot with Dewey Cooper um, and the guys at Extreme Couture as well. I saw her working with Eric Nixick. Um, distance management seems to be the emphasis on this camp. Long-range striking. The uh, Jin Young Kim has fought the more legitimate competition, if you look at her resume. But, I mean, she hasn't won in the longest time in the world. She has, in her past fights, lost to Jocelyn Edwards, Priscilla Cachoeira, Molly McCann, Alexa Grasso. Four-fight losing streak. Those four fighters are of an upper tier than anything Mandy Baum has faced inside her entire MMA career. So one would think that all those fights will prepare Ji Yong Kim to just completely dismantle Mandy Baum. I'm not going to really just have that MMA math type of breakdown where I'm like, yep, Ji Yong Kim's fought the better competition. You know, some of it was close. She just had a split decision over Jocelyn, uh, split decision loss to Jocelyn Edwards. I think Edwards is better than Baum, so she's going to win this fight. I still think that even in a loss, there could be some room for Mandy Baum to have a high floor just because of the the output that Ji Young Kim is going to put out there. I mean, listen to some of these significant strike numbers for Ji Young Kim. Not landed, but she's through 193, 375, 361. And then all the others are above 120 significant strikes. That's a ton. When Within Mandy Baum's short UFC career, she's thrown only 93 and 108. This could be a situation where Ji Young Kim treats Mandy Baum like an Everlast punching bag. 
I'm not going to be over here saying that this is going to be a staple play by any means. It Everything points to Ji Yeon Kim going to get a victory here and finally gets into the win column within the UFC. I'm just not going to to you know say with conviction that a fighter on a four fight losing streak is a uh, a parlay piece or something for you guys to really plant your flag on. So I'm going to be favoring Ji Young Kim, and it's kind of crazy because she's from Syndicate MMA, and you guys know I don't do that. But if you look at the ownership, the ownership is a little low for a fighter that's favored so high. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah, I mean, you're talking about a 9,000 fighter here. Um, you know, when I'm thinking about underdogs that potentially kind of stick out to me this week, Dennis at 7,700 is someone that I'm kind of looking at this week. So I have two gut gut feelings, and I'm going to go against both of them. Gut feeling one, Dennis Tallulah knocks out Jung Young Park. Gut feeling two, Manny Baum does enough even in a loss to kind of be a little bit relevant at 7,200. Dennis Tallulah has ridiculous power ridiculous power and that was on display against jamie pickett um throughout his entire career he is susceptible to getting taken down controlled ragdolled but i I have to give him credit he does a damn good job of getting back to his feet while walking towards the cage um getting back up but spending most of the fights you know losing minutes and then trying to to come back by throwing crazy combinations jung young park is the better mma fighter that's kind of like the mm-hmm. the narrative this week. Mm-hmm. You have fighters that are you know, the better mixed martial artists. It's just a matter of if they implement the correct game plan. I think that Jung Young Park showed how well-rounded he could be against Joseph Holmes, who is a completely physical freak. Um, picked up a split decision over Eric Anders. The head-scratcher performance was against Gregory Rodriguez, who you know, last week or the other week, was in a very dangerous matchup, and I said I like Gregory Rodriguez to win the fight, but I'm intrigued with the underdog, so I'm going to leave Gregory Rodriguez outside of my parlays. I kind of have the same feeling against Jung Young Park. I'm picking Jung Young Park to win here just because I think that he can pick up multiple takedowns. Um, listen to some of these takedown numbers. 5 of 10 against Marc-Andre Berriot, who's you know, an equivalent foe to Dennis Tolulin, four of four against John Phillips, two of five against Tafana Chukwe, who's super dangerous, two of four against Joseph Holmes. Um, and we know that Tolulin looked better against um, against Jamie Pickett. But if he gets taken down, I think it can be takedown city for Jung-Yun Park. So I circle Jung-Yun Park as p- potential takedown city candidate. But as far as like underdog with upside outside of our boy, uh, Yi Ya, uh, I think that Dennis Tolulin should be one of the most popular underdogs on the on the slate, and I think that the ownership is reflective of that. And by far our biggest favorite on this fight card, Tatsuya Tahara, ninety six hundred, a twelve to one betting favor against Jesus Crazy. Aguilar. Uh, betting side, I think you're just you're, you're looking at, at the searching for those uh, inside the distance props on Tara. But when we talk about from a, a, a DFS aspect, ninety six hundred. Huge price point. It's just to me. It's just whether or not he pays it off. Yeah, I don't think he does. I mean, he might, but I think it's just such a ridiculous price point. And Tetsuro Tyra in two fights against Carlos Candelario, ninety six point seven. CJ Vergara, one hundred six point nine. Neither one of those. Neither one of those DFS scores are going to really justify a ninety six hundred price tag. 
Um, I don't think that Jesus Aguilar is a bad opponent by any means. I think that he's pretty similar to CJ Vergara and Carlos Candelario, where um, he is good offensively, but defensively he's not the best. Uh, He has a great, great guillotine choke. I have to give him credit for that. And he will jump guillotine all the time. I think that jumping guillotine against a guy in Tattoo or Tyra can put you in a poor position. Um, 12 to 1 betting favorites, quite ridiculous for a young fighter, you know, who's still developing. I think Tatsu or Tyra could knock out Jesus Aguilar on the feet, has a piston right hand, has excellent trips and takedowns from the upper body. Um, that's basically how he gets his opponents to the mat. He just, and that's what I would say if I was coaching Tatsu or Tyra, is like, listen, uh, Jesus has a phenomenal guillotine. We're not going to shoot any single legs or double legs. Everything's going to be upper body trips, upper body, you know, uh, throws. So I think that Tatsuro Tyra could get more takedowns in this bout because of Jesus Aguilar's uh, skills everywhere. I'm, I'm almost thinking the decision happens. I know he picked up a, a submission over CJ Vergara, but I'm almost thinking that a decision happens. And uh, 9,600, I think he's going to score in the 110 range. I just, I don't know. I'm going to get some to some some other fighters and to some other combinations and let people chase that crazy, crazy favorite. He should be the favorite. He's going to win here. But if half the field's getting to Tatsu or Tyra, I'm probably going to be on the other side saying, let me get a little different. Yeah, I mean, let me me ask you this, and and this is, you know, game theory. You've talked about this game theory in the past of trying to find an underdog that you think, you know, obviously we've got 12 fights, so it's not a situation where we've got, you know, 14, 15 fights, but a 12-fight card, are you looking at a Jesus Aguilar, a Mandy Bomb as potentially that fighter who may lose, but could ultimately result in you, you know, finishing in you know the top ten percent of a GPP because they just score enough to allow you to get to other people? Yeah, so uh, it's a great point, great question, and appreciate it, Jason. Uh, Stephen Kozlo a couple weekends ago is basically my punt, where I expected him to have grappling success could possibly win the fight um but he was just too cheap for for what i was expecting his points to be um jesus aguilar is not a guy that i will consider neither would be neither would toshioma kazama i would start to look at adam fuget mandy Baum, and yija because those three fighters to me are three fighters that i think at that price point they have paths to victory and yija's our our darling this week he's just my outright pick. I think that he's going to win the bout. Um, but as far as like Manny Baum and Adam Fugit, we saw Fugit have some success against Michael Morales. Manny Baum hasn't had any success, but she could be in a high striking matchup where she's going to have to pick up the pace if she doesn't want to get dismantled against Ji Young Kim. So in a loss, we could have some situations mm-hmm. where a fighter of Fugit um, either picks up a win or just does enough with his wrestling. I like to target wrestlers in this punt category. So um, I would probably say Adam Fuget would be the Stephen Koslow punt of the week. Uh, Yi Jia at 7,300 is an outright pick to win the fight. And usually when I have an outright pick underneath 7,500, I don't have to get desperate and go after another punt. You know what I mean? Like that 7,300 Yi Jia does just enough by himself for me to get to other people within the top 8,000 and uh, 9,000 range. 
Of course, if you got any questions, line those up in chat right now. We're going to get to those once we get through our straight-up fight picks. Of course, these are not DFS-related. Main event, uh, I'm going with a favorite, Sergey Spivak. Yeah, I'm going with Sergey Spivak. I just I hate heavyweight fights, so uh, I don't know. I don't, I don't know my success rate on the heavyweight fights, but I'm going to go Sergey Spivak. Uh, next up, uh, co-main event, I like the favorite in, in, in Dong Young Jung. Same, Dong Jung for me. Uh, then uh, Tybura and even off. I gotta go Tybura. Slightly, I have to. slightly. Uh, I like I like the Korean Superboy over Kyle Nelson. Do Ho Choi, baby. I hope so. Um, I gotta go with the big favorite over Fuget. Um, but I think Fuget's an interesting underdog. Yeah, I agree. I'm gonna go with uh, Kinoshita. Uh, I will go with the slight favorite in Jubilee. Yeah, this this is my least favorite fight on the card. Uh, actually, Gion Kim Manny bombs pretty bad, but I'm gonna go with uh Jubilee. I mean, after what you said about uh Yi Jia, I got I gotta go with Jia here. You know what's crazy though, Jason, is because his opponent is phenomenal. So Jing Yong Lee is a phenomenal prospect to watch with crazy finishing upside, like. I just think that he could be outgunned in the wrestling department. So I'm going to go with Yija as well. Uh, I will go Nakamura. Nakamura, strongest strongest feeling on the card. I love me some Nakamura this right. week. I will go Park over Choi. Yeah, Park. I, I, I got to go with Jin Young Kim, even though I don't feel good about it. Syndicate MMA, I hate it. I'm going to go <laughs> with Kim. Uh, give me Denise and a little bit of an upset. Ooh, okay. I'm going to go with Jung Young Park, despite my gut feeling to Lula and knocks him out. Uh, then obviously <laughs> everyone's gonna be on tar in this one. Let's let's yeah, not get we're ourselves. Going or Tyra as well. Uh, mentioned a question came over in our Discord, which our Discord totally free to join. Join our community. Um, you know, great chats that we have in there throughout the week, and uh, we'll get this uh, first one. Best value plays under eight K on DraftKings. Um, for me, best under eight K. Yeehaw for me. I sound like a broken record. Outside of that, it's ugly. Yeah, I mean, uh, Tulin is one that I do like at 7,700. Um, yep. I mean, there, there's some punt plays that, that I don't mind going to. I mean, obviously, Derek Lewis is a punt play. Adam Fugat's a punt play. Um, that's probably about the ones I, I from a punt play aspect, I'm really going to try to get to. Yeah, it's... It's really when you say under eight thousand, it's really not a an underdog like type of card where we think the dogs are barking. Mm-hmm. There could be so many unknowns that a lot of underdogs come through. But for me, like it's Yija, and then I'm probably gonna say the next person is Tolulin, and if I had to give you a third, it would be Sungguk Choi, just because I think that matchup's gonna be close. And it's a flyweight bout, which tends to go long, so it could be very competitive. And, of course, uh, we appreciate everyone tuning in here for our, our preview of UFC Vegas 68, Bellator 290. Of course, both those on Saturday. Uh, of course, as uh, Pete mentioned, join to score. Hit that like. Uh, hit the comment if you're watching this after the fact. We do respond to those comments. We're always paying attention to when comments are, are left here on the show. Uh, Pete, anything else you want to leave the uh, viewers with? No. I mean, just thank you guys for the consistent support. We really appreciate it. Um, yeah, Comment on the video. Let us know if you have any questions. Um, Join the Discord channel. That's really how you can get to us a lot easier. 
Um, and in addition to that, let's try to get the channel to 500 subscribers. We, that, that's the that's the goal. That's the goal in sight. 500 subscribers. That is that's the first goal that we like to get to, and we want to keep out keep pumping out some Bellator, PFL, UFC content for you guys. And uh, good luck. Let's start with Bellator. Make some money, build that bankroll, and then Jason's going to be snoozing, and I'm going to be up live betting this uh, this international <laughs> UFC card. Yeah, I will definitely be snoring my butt off by, by that point. There ain't no <laughs> doubt about it. I appreciate everyone tuning in here to Fire HQ, just like you heard Pete say. If you're not subscribed to the channel, hit that subscribe button. We appreciate everyone tuning in here for our preview of UFC Vegas 68 and Bellator 290.